Hello and welcome to the first episode of Brain Soup of the Spooky, spooky Season. So this is I'm probably your favorite time of year, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I love Spooky Season. I'm Bria. I'm Tegan. And once again, welcome to Brain Soup. This is um, our seventh episode. I don't know. One of them. We're going. We're going. We're getting there. Um, we're living, we're loving, and we're laughing. We're living la vida loca. Ooh. <laughs> uh, we're just chilling. Chilling like a villain. School for both of us. Work for, Work the both, for of both of us. <laughs> but yeah, it's time for spooky season. We have um, a pretty crazy case today that deals with two things. The paranormal and true uh, crime. Mm-hmm. And a pretty popular movie franchise did a movie about this that came out last summer, so the summer of 2021. Big movie fan over here. Saw this movie in theaters. It was the better one of the franchise, but it was still kind of, eh, you know. So, before we get into it, follow us on Instagram. And Twitter. And Twitter. We have some, some I guess it's not face reveals because we posted ourselves before but kind of kind of just some photos and stuff i like how we said face reveal like the and dream did his face reveal what like a week ago oh yeah yeah as of recording this we've posted our faces before Mm -hmm. but it's our faces it's our faces did we ever post a picture of like our height difference we posted our height difference because we we have to show the other one that i uh, screenshotted oh my god that's the worst it's so funny though take that picture ourselves that was us in class Mm -hmm. and it's even worse because we're off guard very off guard and i'm (laughs) i'm like is that how people see us like when Luca and Justin look yeah. at us, that's how they see us. It's like because uh, it's funny. The way we were looking though, it looked like we wanted to like because we were doing review for we were focusing the final the practical exam. Yeah, we were in it. We were focused hard, holding under a string. We looked the like string. we were for the Julian Solomita fans out there. You know, I had to do it to him. That's what our yeah stance was. Yeah, we were so. We looked unhappy. We were probably tired. We were. It was breakfast script day. That was breakfast script day. Yeah. And for you guys that don't know, Tegan and I are, well, I'm a mass comm student. You're I'm a communication, a communication student. Communication student. So we met in a video production, audio production class. Mm-hmm. So the breakfast script was a, a short film we did together. For an assignment. For an assignment that we both, I think, are pretty proud of we're very proud of it and we got two little awards for it i like it a spice i like it a spice i still have that I, yes and i have the best sfx because mm-hmm. so. uh we'll have to post that somewhere so these people can see what we did yeah how are we began with each other kind of thing yeah 
I think that's like thing together. our podcast. That's the only we did the one project, the the audio design mm-hmm. one. But I mean, we weren't in it. We weren't in it. We didn't put our heart and our soul into it for mm-hmm. writing a a script and stuff. We wrote this script, and mm-hmm. it's actually this would probably be the best time to put it because it, it was it it deals with Amoida. It, spoilers. Ours was the only one who dealt with them. We went um, south. We did go south. Ours was out of pocket, but they we got like second place in the little yeah. film contest that they kind of held. So we had a little bit of errors here and there, but yeah, our audio, which is ironic. Yeah, but um, it, I always say it's so funny. We're just rambling right now. We'll get into the case soon. Yeah. <laughs> we promise. We promise. You, you guys have never heard background on us, really. Mm-mm. So, it's a good, good. It's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we both hated our audio. We didn't hate our audio class, but that's the class we kind of... It was not our favorite. It was not our favorite. We both struggled a little bit in mm-hmm. it. And then we were like... Do you want to start a podcast? Yeah. We're like, okay, we can start this podcast. And uh, I think up until today, we always kind of struggled with setting up Pro Tools. And we did it by ourselves and today. Today, I just whipped right through it. I was mm-hmm. like, but I've, I kind of student teach down here mm-hmm. now. And so it's really helped me learn what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And the new computers aren't like 85 years old. And it helps. And that helps too. Oh. Uh, we get emojis on our computer for a little screen now. Yeah. I'm so excited. So little fancy little emojis. It was a lion like me. Yes. Okay. Anywho, anything else you think you want to say? Um, if you if we do end up posting our breakfast script, let us know, know how you feel about it and what Easter eggs you catch. Yeah. And let us, we know the, the audio, the audio. But, you know. It was airy. It was airy. I don't think we had our shotgun mic on, right? No. And that's the issue. It was raining that day, so that didn't help either. No. And and normally when it rains, microphones yeah, get more feedback. It it was fun, but it was fun. even then we, I, our bloopers of it. Oh my gosh, the we just need to post the bloopers. Uh, no, we'll post without the context. Script. You think I can post it as a reel? Maybe. We'll have to see. We'll have to show you because your eyes out. Maybe this. you'll encourage us to make something else. Yeah. Over like a break or something. For sure, because I really liked working with you with that kind of stuff. I did too. We and had a good time. Our actors or actresses. Mm-hmm. Very phenomenal. Oh my gosh. Maybe we'll have to do like a, a mini podcast breaking down our breakfast script. I think so, for sure. I think so as well. Okay. Well, let's get into this case. Let's get into this case before we keep going. This is why it's called brain soup, people. I know, because we're just spewing. In our notes, I literally put intro, us Us rambling rambling along. (laughs) Okay, so today's case, we haven't mentioned the name yet. Nope. Is the Devil Made Me Do It case. With Arnie. About Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. Johnson. This is another one that features Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh Uh-huh. So keep your eyes out for maybe our... Maybe in a few episodes we'll do a full yeah. Ed and Lorraine just thing about them. I think that they need it. I agree. But um, the story's about Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, but it features Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were famous paranormal investigators, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, mm-hmm. as well as the Glatzel family consisting of Judy, Carl, 
Carl Jr., Alan, who isn't really mentioned throughout the case, and their youngest son, David. Arnie was the fiancé of their daughter, Debbie, and she had moved out of the house at this point with him. Mm -hmm. Carl Jr. is also absent from this case, and there is a reason for that. He just wanted to be distanced from this story, and we're not going to talk about him any more than this because we respect it. Right, and it's understandable that he didn't want to be anywhere near this case. Because this case is... It's heavy. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on. Before we go on, I am going to give just the smidgemist background on Ed and Lorraine. I think we've already touched on them some, and we're going to touch on them again, but it's a nice reminder. Mm-hmm. So Ed and Lorraine Warren were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of alleged hauntings. Ed was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer. Lorraine professed to be clairvoyant and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. They worked on many famous cases like this one, the Enfield Poltergeist and Annabelle the Doll. Who we touched on a couple episodes ago. Who we did talk about a couple episodes ago. And I wrote in here about our doll episode, which was our That was the most two episodes ago. I think it was the last one, was it? I think our last one was the drag. Oh yeah. So it would be the one before. Yeah. So if you haven't watched our previous episodes, watch them. Because that ca- that podcast alone was kind of, how do I put this? It was spooky, but at the same time, it was like, it kind of cleared up some stuff with how people would perceive haunted dolls or dolls in general. I agree. I agree. Um, so these characters, Ed and Lorraine, are very controversial people so keep that in your noggins people the story takes place in brookfield connecticut which connecticut's like a place for all things spooky i think but it's really pretty but it is pretty but just as a movie person i feel like connecticut is just a place in like a lot of horror movies and maybe i'm wrong but i know there's one specifically like the haunting in connecticut I wouldn't know. I'm like, that one traumatized me as a kid. Connecticut. We're going to start off with David because, to me, that's where the story begins. As mentioned, David was the youngest son of the Glassell family. In the summer of 1980, Debbie's brother David claimed that he had repeatedly encountered an old man who would taunt him. At first, Johnson and Glassell thought that David was trying to get out of doing chores and dismissed his story. So they're not believing this kid that something's up. There's always an old man ghost, I swear. Yeah. No matter what. I mean, you think of old houses and Mm. stuff. We're talking about ghosts and we're in the department alone and I'm hearing stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Like, because I, at my workplace, have maybe seen a ghost of an old man. The day that I see a ghost here in MassCom is the day I'm... You're gone. Yeah. Because there was one at the, I swear to God, there was one at the coffee shop I used to work at. I would imagine. When I would literally run up the stairs from the basement. Mm-hmm. Like, I would be like, oh my God. It's always the basements. Yeah, it's bad. Seeing a ghost man peek behind the corner and at it, like 10 o'clock at night, nope. And it's like, I'm like, I'm just a jumpy person. Me too. And I don't know what I believe in. Mm-hmm. 
But if I hear like weird creaking noises, I'm going to think it's something after me. Yeah. Like no doubt. So this st- started in the summer of 1980 with an eerie experience at Debbie's new house. Judy, the mom, and David were at the new house that Debbie and Arnie had gotten, and David was just wandering around exploring the new space that his sister was moving into. He goes into a bedroom, and he sees a bed that the previous family had left. It was a water bed, so different, mm-hmm. but very popular for the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, But he was excited because it was new. It was something he'd never, you know, kind of seen before. So he was playing on this waterbed, and he saw the apparition of an old man standing there. He was in a plaid shirt and jeans. It wasn't a friendly encounter, though. The man was mumbling things, and it was an all-around very dark moment. So as mentioned, there was a movie that recently came out about this case. It's doctored, you know, mm-hmm. how movies are. Yep. And so the scene that is based on this, a hand comes up out of the waterbed, and pulls David down into it. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I'm just very doctored scene, um, as movies are. I just wanted to mention that as a movie person. But after this encounter, David runs downstairs and tells Judy that he doesn't want to be here anymore. He pleads to leave, and Judy says, no, we still have things to do. So David just goes outside and sits by a tree just having to wait for his mom. Now, unfortunately, the things that happened that day stuck with David. Back at home that night, he told her that someone had pushed him and that a little old man had appeared before him with burnt-looking skin, that plaid shirt torn at the elbow, pointing a finger at him and warning him, beware. Mm. Yeah. The encounters continued going both more frequently and violently. David would wake up crying hysterically, describing visions of a man with big black eyes, a thin face, and animalistic features, with jagged teeth, pointed ears, and horns and hooves. So essentially a demon. Yeah. Yep. Um, Before long, the family asked a priest from a church nearby to bless their home. It brought a temporary sense of peace, and this is when Ed and Lorraine Warren became involved. The priest tells them that he was very leery going in on the case, and he had to rule out other things before calling it a demonic possession. The family called Ed and Lorraine in hopes that they could lend a hand. It was said that David had a slight learning disability, So Ed and Lorraine brought in another doctor in the hopes to see that these outbursts were maybe caused by medicines that he was on. Um, Lorraine says, that was not the case at all, and it was the beginning of a demonic possession. That's scary. This whole day, this day at the home of Debbie and Arnie, messed this kid up bad. So he would kick bite, spit, swear terrible words. Um, that was described at what, as what David would do. David's family members also said he experienced strangling attempts by invisible hands when he tried to pull, which he tried to pull from his neck, and powerful forces would flop him rapidly head to toe like a rag doll. Johnson stayed with the family to help however he could, but disturbingly, the child's night towers began to seep into the daytime as well. 
David described seeing that old man with a white beard dressed in the flannel shirt and jeans. And as the child's visions continued, suspicious noises began emanating from the attic. David ha would have bruises and cuts, and it was just not their kid. They knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. The whole family had a little bit of symptoms of the possession. Debbie lost vision and then regained it, and it was becoming a lot for the family to handle. Um, well, yeah. for sure it would. They were reasonably, like, I would be scared of yeah. these things. You don't know what's going on. No. This kid's a kid, like, little. Yeah. So they were freaked out, and it just kept getting worse and worse. Mm -hmm. So while this is all happening, David started hissing, having seizures, and speaking in strange voices while quoting John Milton's Paradise Lost in the Bible. That's scary in itself. The speaking strange voices just remind you've never seen The Shining. No. There's like a kid who starts kind of acting out. And he, I think I've mentioned this in another I think podcast. And he, we just watched The Shining here yesterday. Oh, really? Yep. So I'm just, it's on, it's heavy on my mind right now. On your noggin. Yep. So the kid just talks to his finger and he goes, red rum. And red rum is murder. We did talk about that. Yep. It's murder backwards. Murder backwards. But he does his little finger and he goes, red rum, red rum. Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of reminds me of that. Uh, but reviewing the case, the Warrens concluded that this was clearly a case of demonic possession. However, psych Psychiatrists who invested the case after the fact claimed that David merely just had a learning disability. That's not a learning disability. No. Those doctors were fuck asses. Whoa. Like, I'm so serious. Yeah. Because this kid's like wigging out. Mm -hmm. And I know I may not believe in some things. But that's not a learning disability. It could it, be another mental health thing. That's not a learning but thing. But a learning thing no. makes no sense. Maybe some type of psychological. Yeah. But not learning. No. Um, let me see. The Warrens claimed that over the course of three subsequent exorcisms overseen by priests, David levitated cursed and even stopped breathing so that in itself seeing a kid stop yeah. breathing anybody stop breathing but let alone a yeah. kid is scary and Terrifying. the whole family was there exactly watching this kid just go through these things it must have been i don't uh, i don't know i know. just know it's bad it's bad so now before we get more into stuff about like David and how he plays into this with his possession. We're going to talk about Arnie because this is the Arnie Johnson case. Right. So, more into Arnie's background Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was known to be 59 years old as of 2021. He was born in 1962 in the United States of America. I'm assuming it was maybe Connecticut. I couldn't find a lot of information on him. Okay. Um, as of currently, uh, you guys will kind of know why as we kind of proceed in the case. But I just, I felt lost kind of trying to find some information about him. Um, so if you guys find any of his information, please let us know or correct us if I we're wrong. I know of, so 
this kind of ties back to when we talked about the dolls, mm-hmm. when I talked about Annabelle. Yeah. The TFIL video. Yeah. Arnie was actually interviewed in that video. Really? Yes. Him himself. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I had to uh, make sure it was... It was either TFIL or it was Sam and Colby, but I thought it was TFIL. But yeah, he was interviewed. That's with the TFIL people in the room. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I'll have to watch that. I'll send it to you. Because I would really like to know. He's, well, that just tells he's out of prison. Yeah. So that will put that out there. But I couldn't find anything about his life before the case. But that's understandable. Which is very understandable. We'll get into it, but... But I found that Arnie and Debbie lived with his mother, Mary, who was divorced, raising her two daughters, as well as a niece, and her son, Arnie, who was 18 at the time. Arnie and Debbie fell in love, got engaged, and started doing the whole starting a life together thing. With Arnie came his family... Mary, Arnie's mom, was struggling. Um, She had cancer, colon cancer. Mm. But she was raising three girls alone. So Arnie kind of tried to help with where he could. Mm -hmm. And um, the couple kind of took that into account that he needed to be there for his mom when they were moving. So when they were starting to look for houses to build their life together, they wanted to bring Arnie's family with them. They were living about 20 miles away from Debbie's family, and they were determined to find a house that was closer to them. They also wanted to be close to Debbie's work to cut the commute down. They found a house that was perfect for them. It had a main house that Mary and the girls could live in, as well as an in-law unit that Debbie and Arnie would live in. They called Debbie's family and were excited. Debbie's family were um, apprehensive to them all moving into with each other because they didn't want Debbie and Arnie to get overwhelmed with having Mary and the three girls living with mm-hmm. them. Arnie worked as a tree surgeon, so he basically just worked trimming trees. I, I don't know. No, that's what that was called. I don't know why it's called that. But it makes sense to me. It does. So, and Debbie worked at a dog kennel. The said dog kennel was owned and managed by their landlord, Alan Bono. We'll come back to him. Uh Uh-oh. Johnson and Glatzel moved into the home in May 1980, a month before her brother David began to claim that he was being tormented by a demon. As previously mentioned, this is the house that the spirit, spirit or whatever it was, followed David home from. By October 1980, Johnson started taunting the demonic presence. Why would you taunt... I don't know. Johnson told it to stop bothering his fiance's brother. Take me on. Leave my little buddy alone, he would cry. And that's exactly what, what the presence did. Because they listened to him. It gave him. He gave him permission. Yeah. Or he gave it permission. And so the, the presence was like, well, I don't, I guess. Don't mind if I do. Don't mind if I do another body. Like, okay. So to the moida. To the I moida. like how you spelled that in the notes. It's from cult leader Spencer Henry. Hello. Ding. Ding. I got a text. But it's from cult leader, which is my favorite podcast. 
Um, he always is like, Amoida. Mm-hmm. Amoida. I love it. So I had to put it in there. But Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, 19, stabbed Alan Bono, 40, more than 20 times with a pocket knife on February 16th, 1981. The small community of Brookfield, Connecticut was shocked at the murder. This was the first murder in its 193-year history. Yeah. Insanity. Yeah. But that was nothing compared to the shock of Johnson's intended defense. Guilty by the reason of demonic possession. Wasn't this the first case to use demonic possession as a... Yes, it was. Mr. Johnson's knife was a folding five-inch blade. It was found at the scene, and he was indicted on a charge of first-degree murder. The incident happened. Johnson called in sick to his job at Wright Tree Service and joined Debbie at the kennel where she worked, along with his sister Wanda and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin Mary. Bono, the couple's landlord and Debbie's employer at the kennel, brought the group for lunch at a local bar and proceeded to drink very heavily. After lunch, the group returned to the kennel. Debbie then took the girls to get pizza, but insisted they returned quickly, anticipating trouble. When they returned, Bono, who seized Mary and refused to let go, Johnson headed back to the apartment and ordered Bono to release Mary. Wanda recounted the following events to the police. Mary ran for the car as Debbie attempted to get the situation to kind of break up by standing in between the two men. Wanda tried in vain to pull Johnson away. Johnson, growling like an animal, then drew said five-inch pocket knife and stabbed Bono repeatedly. Bono died several hours later, according to Johnson's lawyer. Bono had suffered four to five tremendous wounds, mostly to his chest, and one that stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. Johnson was discovered two miles from the site of the killing and was held at the Bridgepoint Correctional Center on a bail of $125,000. This was the first unlawful killing, as mentioned, in the history of Brookfield, Connecticut. So this is the first case that someone pleaded guilty, not 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 guilty. guilty by the reason of demonic possession and the first murder in the town therefrom. That just, with it being the first murder alone, people are going to automatically think. Yeah, and then it's it's an oddball thing to it is. claim. Like, well, I did this, but I was possessed while I did it. John A. Anderson, the Brookfield chief of police, was personally directing the murder investigation, and he, too, wanted to talk to the priests. He had interviews with the Warrens, in fact, He says they warned the police department last October that they were working with clergy in a house they claimed to be a violent demonic lair and that there was some potential, they thought, for a violent act. The testimony of one of the witnesses to the stabbing, however, can already be foreseen. Miss Glatzel, who had watched The Exorcist on television with the rest of the family, and who had attended at least one of the Warrens' lectures before her brother began to claim his daily and nightly visions of the devil, 
a presence they all return to as the Master or the Beast, which, crazy names, mm-hmm. um, says that her brother told her the day after Mr. Bono's death that he had a vision. Though authorities investigated the Warrens' claims of a haunting, they stuck with the story that Bono was simply killed during an altercation with Johnson over his fiance. Well, that's what it was going to look like to yeah. bystanders. Yeah. So, at some point prior to the murder, Johnson had allegedly investigated a well in the same area where his fiance's brother claimed to experience his first encounter with the malicious present wreaking havoc on their lives. The Warrens warned Johnson. The Warrens are warning people left and right about things, and nobody's listening. And, yes, I know the Warrens are sketchy sometimes, but, like... If they're telling you... They're telling you to do something. Why are you not listening? I would at least look into it. I wouldn't, like, full out believe. I'm one of the people that needs to do my own research in order to believe something. Yeah. At least something like this. I agree. But people say I'm, like, really gullible, so... I don't know. I mean, when it comes to, like, this kind of stuff, like, a serious topic on, like, murder or something like that, yes. I will do my own research. To I will, too. clarify my mind. And you need to, because, I mean, we live in a world today full of... Crime. Crime and fake news. But, yeah. So, especially with both of us potentially getting in the media field. Yes. I'm in several news writing yeah, you are. classes right now. And I'm doing that in the future. Yeah. So and it's just, like, I've just learned so much about fake news Yeah, that... Like, we live in such a world of it. And I'm sure there was fake news going on. Like, they didn't have what we have now with social media. But they still had fake news Mm -hmm. in, like, 40s, 50s, you know, even before that. Every time had fake news. Mm -hmm. So people need to fact check. And people probably thought this was crazy. I mean, it does sound crazy. It is kind of crazy. But, like, I don't even know how we got on this. Topic of fake news. Uh, People not listening to the Warrens. Oh, yeah. And stuff. But Johnson didn't listen to the Warrens about this well, and he went right to it. And this is may have been where the demons truly took over his body. So we talked about in a few episodes how demons kind of connect themselves to things. And objects. Bridges. Wells. People. People. So, makes sense. Energy, too. Yeah. This is perhaps where all this happened. He taunted these demons, as mentioned. This is why I'm kind of scared for Shane of BuzzFeed Unsolved. Yeah. Yeah. I they, they have their new series out now. Yeah. I've watched it. They just uploaded a new one today that I'll probably watch tonight. Mm-hmm. But he's been a lot better in That's good. this season. But... It makes me nervous. I yeah. love him to death. Mm-hmm. I think I will think it's funny because he just is out of pocket. Because but... Elton does it too under TFIL. Okay. Big time. See, like he opened... I don't watch a lot of TFIL. I would consider it because he actually opened himself up. He had come to get demons or ghosts to possess him. Really? At the Queen Mary. I think it was the Queen Mary. Not the Queen Mary. But he had three people... One of them didn't even want their face shown. Try to get him possessed, and it worked. Yeah. So, 
I'll have to send you that link too. You will. I haven't. I never really watched TFI though, but Elton used to live with Scotty Sire. And you used and, to live with Sam and Colby. And Sam and Colby. But I love Scotty Sire. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I kind of got a feel for Elton from. Mm-hmm. But I've never really watched TFIL. The stuff, he is one of the main taunters. And then there's okay. Corey, who I know is Corey. telling him to stop. Yeah. I think Corey hangs out with Ken and JC a little. They all kind of hang out together yeah. a little, but I think Corey more so. Mm-hmm. The day after the killing, Lorraine Warren informed the Brookfield police that Johnson was possessed when the crime was committed. A media blitz. Again with the media. Media. Soon surrounded the story, fueled in part by the Warrens, who agents promised that lectures, a book, and a movie detailing the gruesome case was in the works. So this is kind of a thing with the Warrens and how they may not be like a credible source. They were in it kind of for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of tell sometimes in some things. And I mean, a lot of their cases have been turned into the conjuring. Yeah. Annabelle and mm-hmm. stuff. So they wanted some They wanted the cash. Some monies. Martin Manella, Johnson's lawyer, received calls from all over the world about what was being called the demon murder trial. Manella traveled to England to meet with lawyers who had been involved in two similar cases, though neither went to trial. He planned to bring in exorcism specialists from Europe that threatened to subpoena the priests who oversaw David Glatzel's exorcisms if they did not cooperate with the defense. The trial took place in Connecticut's Superior Court in Danbury beginning on October 28, 1981. Manila attempted to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession, but the preceding judge, Robert Callahan, promptly rejected his defense. Callahan argued that no such defense could exist in a court of law due to lack of evidence and that it would be relative and unscientific, which I can't agree on Mm -hmm. because there's not a lot known about stuff like this, you know. There's always two sides to stuff like this. Mm-hmm. There's the believer's side and the skeptic's side. Right. So, I mean, you know, we have no real way to be like demon. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. I can't agree on why they were like hesitant hesitant with this. And I there's no way to te- really test a person for this. You know what? It really I mean? isn't. And so they were just like, well, he killed somebody. Especially with what we have nowadays, you yeah. really can't. And he did kill somebody. He did too, kill somebody. Which, no matter what you kind of do, mm-hmm. you know, it's not good. The defense chose to imply that Johnson acted in self-defense. Because of this, the jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possessions as a viable explanation for the killing. The jury deliberated for 15 hours over three days before convicting Johnson on November 24, 1981, of first-degree manslaughter. On December 18, 1981, he was sent- sentenced to t- 10 to 20 years in prison, though he served only five. On good behavior, right? Yep, good behavior. So now we're going to get into a little bit about like the books, the movies, the all the stuff that kind of was made about this. 
Um, so the incident led to the creation of a television film titled The Demon Murder Case on NBC. So a made-for-TV movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of made-for-TV movies. I think they can be rough. They can. Really rough. Um, so on NBC, in preparations for a feature film, the production of which was stalled due to internal conflicts... What kind of internal conflicts are we that talking? That could literally mean anything. anything. Exactly. That's all I was like. like it hmm. could be actors, directors, or they could have got like sued by some people mm-hmm. or like threatens threats of being sued. Or... I wonder if this company on NBC actually got their permission because I saw something break in the news about the Gabby Petito case. Yeah. And how there are... Um, Making a movie or are releasing a movie that they didn't even get the permission of um, the family. There was one that was released on Hulu. That's the one I think I'm talking about. Is it? Is it? I feel like this one was about a different person. Wait, had, like, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know what you're that talking about. That's a separate thing. Yeah. That was like, they're making a Hulu series about my sister. Without their permission. We don't want that. That's what's happening with the Gabby Petito family, too. Yeah. Because Gabby, the Gabby Petito thing happened literally a year ago, like two weeks, um, like a year ago. How do I word this? I'm so bad at wording things. When did this happen? It literally happened like September 13th yeah. last year. And they had already gotten all the actors and they had just given the actual like... The script? Well, they were just given the fact that... Brian did do it recently. Yeah. In his he, note. It just, they just got his note dried out and everything. That's why I was saying it was in August that the case happened. Okay. So it was, it was still being taught. Something happened around September ish. I think that's when, I think that's when they started finding bodies. The body or, uh, like starting to find evidence and all that stuff. Cause I think it started late August going into early September. I think that's what it was. Cause I rem- I don't I remember being out of town and the only time I was out of town around that time was around the thirteenth so maybe that's what I, I think you're right because I remember being in Arizona and like on the plane paying attention mm-hmm. to this stuff you know that's the Gabby Petito craze is crazy but that's the story for another yeah. time <laughs> that's just what my brain went to they this could have been. That's kind of what my brain went to as well. That they didn't get permission. But you have to get permission from these families. I'm sorry. I mean, why are you sorry? It's the only right thing. Exactly. You know, it's the only right thing to do. Is to get permission at least. And if they say no, respect that. Yeah. It's not that hard. It isn't that hard at all. Sorry, rambled over. Rambled over. But it needed to be talked Mm -hmm. about with this. Yeah, for sure. In 1983, Gerald Brittle, with the assistance of Lorraine Warren, published a book about the incident entitled The Devil in Connecticut. Well, then Lorraine get permission from the family to talk about this? See, I don't know. And that's kind of the thing with those two brothers that don't want to be involved in this case. They tried to sue Ed and Lorraine. But that's Which, their right. Yes. I know we said we weren't going to mention 
but that needed to be mentioned in this part. Right. They did not want this stuff talked about. And they should have respected And rightfully that. so. So that's con- Ed and Lorraine, controversy. Mm-hmm. Controversial people. Lorraine Warren stated that the profits from the book were shared with the family. Sources confirmed that $2,000 was paid to the family by the book publisher. Upon the book's republication in 2006 by iUniverse, David Glatzel and his brother, Carl Glatzel Jr., sued the authors um, for emotional distress. So. Yeah. 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 As they should. As they should. It was their family. It's not her story to tell. No, it isn't. Her Even story though she to was tell. part of it, it's not her but story. It wasn't her family. It's not her family. She the- was called in to help. But, but they that's didn't know it. these people like that. Exactly. To do stuff like this. So emotional distress. Carl claimed that the book alleged he committed criminal and abusive acts against his family and others. He said that the possession story was a hoax concocted by Ed and Lorraine Warren to exploit the family and his brother's mental illnesses. And the book presented him as the villain because he did not believe in supernatural claims. He asserted that the Warrens told him the story and would make the family millionaires and would help get Johnson out of jail. According to Carl Glatzel, the publicity generated by the incident forced him to drop out of school, lose friends and business opportunities. In 2007, he began writing a book titled Alone Through the Valley about his versions of the events surrounding his brother. Lorraine Warren defended her work in the family, claiming that the six priests who were involved in the incident agreed at the time that this boy was possessed and that the supernatural events she described were real. Brittle, the author of The Devil in Connecticut, says he wrote the book because the family wanted the story told. But then David and Carl sued mm-hmm. for emotional distress, but yeah, the family wanted the story told. So Ugh. it's one person saying one thing. It's the author who has no business, who wasn't even there. Like, right. Rain and Ed were there. Mm-hmm. But this author was just told events. He wanted the money. He wanted the money. So the the family apparently wanted it out there. Allegedly wanted it told. They signed off the book as accurate before it went to print. Glatzel's father, Carl Glatzel, sir, denies telling the author that his son was possessed. Johnson and Debbie, now married, wholeheartedly support the Warren's account of deponic possession and have stated that the Glatzels in question are suing simply for monetary purposes, which they are. Mm-hmm. So it's like Arnie and Debbie are like, yeah, there was demonic possession. And then David, who was possessed mm-hmm. as a child, and his brother Carl were like, what are y'all talking about? Mm-hmm. So everybody's kind of getting at it now. The event inspired the premise of 2021's film, The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. The devil made me do it. Arnie Johnson was let out for good behavior after serving a five-year sentence. He was released in 1986. Johnson married Debbie while he was in prison, and he also got his high school diploma there. Good for him. The pair went on to have two children, and the movie's end titles mentioned marriage, though Debbie Glatzel sadly passed away since the movie was made. I think, I believe she had cancer of some sort. Damn. Yep. 
Uh, not much is known about Arnie Johnson today, but you brought up the TFIL thing. thing so. I'm going back to that when I I noticed that I forgot that when they interviewed Arnie, mm -hmm. it was in the Warren's Museum. Whew. That's what I was making faces for. Yeah. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> A little bit. Well, I don't know. It was in the same video, at least. I'm okay. pretty sure that it was that they did the interview in the actual Warren's Museum itself. But if not, still placing it in the same video with all the controversy does doesn't sit well with me. No. So that in itself is kind of messed up. Kinda, a little bit. But from what I remember from the video, Arnie did go into a little bit of detail of what actually happened but I don't know much I don't either but that was today's case today's case today's case to start off or to start off our part of the spooky season to start off our part of spooky season be ready for next episode where Bria and I might get a little heated we might so our episodes are going to be a little maybe out of order this they would be month. out of order so it's uh, gonna be a me talkie and then us, us talkie, talkie and then, then a tegan talkie yes and then uh, we'll get ourselves back into order we wanted to get a little bit of a spooky season type feel going on because yes. it is october it is october and we have to we have to we have to but we hope you guys enjoyed today's case for sure. Um, and if you have any questions, concerns, or anything, feel free to tweet us. Feel free to comment on our absolutely. posts or anything, and we will respond. We will. We will. So we thank you so much for watching up to this point. We hope you guys continue watching. Hello to everybody new watching. Hello. And also now, goodbye. Goodbye. we we'll see you we next week. we see you next time. Thank you.